of Matthew, chapter 11. I took off without my microphone. All right, Matthew chapter 11 this morning. We're going to take a break for about a week from the uh, series that we've been in. And uh, I believe that the Lord really kind of gave me something here that uh, he would have for us at this time. And uh, a lot of that being, as we are starting to gear up towards school, uh, towards fall, towards maybe some busyness of things. We have, uh, over the last few weeks, been out of town, and uh, many of us anyway, and uh, through the summer, and done some different things, and now we're getting back, and before long, uh, the routines of life are going to kick back in that typically do in the fall, and uh, some of the rigmarole of school and all of that. And I know certainly as uh, a church that has a school, there's a certain element of busyness that's going to take place uh, over these next weeks. Our teachers are going to be working and laboring and uh, putting a lot in. And I uh, really just want to uh, think for a few minutes uh, this morning on the subject of rest. I want to preach on finding rest in Christ. How do we come uh, in a time of busyness and certainly a time culture is stirred, uh, our nation is stirred, and uh, as Christians, our hearts can be stirred, and we can look around us and be very concerned about a lot of things, but very stirred up about a lot of things. How in the midst of all of this do we come and really and truly find rest in the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's really the thought we're going to look at this morning. If you will, stand with me as we read, if you're able, and uh, Matthew chapter 11, and verse number 25 It says, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, I pray that you would give exactly what you would have today. I pray that you would uh, put into my mind exactly the thoughts that you would want said. And Lord, anything I have planned that you don't want said, that you would strike it from my mind. Lord, I pray that you would help uh, everything that is done and said, that it would be pleasing to you and glorify God. And Lord, I pray that you would work in a powerful way. Uh, Lord, help us to be a people that in the midst of troubling and even stirring times, that we would be able to truly rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There is what I believe is a fictitious story. Uh, I have seen it in places as a true story, but I believe it's a fictitious story, uh, and and maybe it originated from some element of a true story at least, but uh, of a king who uh, decided that he would have a contest. And I really hadn't thought about this in a while. It came up this week, and, and it's a great illustration, a great story. This king decided to have a contest of uh, painters that would be really throughout not only his region and kingdom, but anywhere. And that would be a contest for those to paint a picture of peace. How in the world do you paint a picture of peace? 
And so, of course, they would go out and they would find serene settings and they would paint of sunsets over a lake, perhaps, that was reflecting off of the stillness of that lake. And others would perhaps find a mountain peak that was standing in a regal fashion up above the foothills. And they would paint the beauty of the greenery down below and the snow-capped mountain. And and, uh, they would put all their best painting and their best ability into the painting. and, And everyone wanted to win the prize that the king was offering. And so before long, paintings began to come in and uh, the people of the kingdom that were there gathered around and, and they began to watch as the paintings were unveiled before the king. And, and the first would have the cover taken off and everyone would ooh and awe about the wonder and splendor of the painting. And, and then another would come and, uh, and each of the painters would step up and they would remove the cover of their painting and show the king the painting that was there. And one after another, they would show these paintings. Finally, everyone watched with uh, awe at the beauty of all of these paintings. And the final painter, uh, excuse me, the final two painters were about to unveil theirs. And one grabbed the sheet and he pulled it back, revealing what to everyone who was standing there was obviously the most beautiful of the paintings thus far. It was a painting of uh, a lake scene up in the mountains with the mountain peaks rising up above it and reflecting into that water and the greenery uh, beginning to turn into the shades of different color of the fall and all of that reflecting off of that uh, perfectly peaceful, serene water. And everyone in the kingdom said, surely this must be the picture that is going to win. And finally they looked at that last painter That last painter grabbed that sheet and he unveiled his painting and everyone in the kingdom that was gathered around, you could hear as the air of the room was immediately sucked out and they all just uh, gasped with horror. How in the world could anyone paint such a picture, they wondered. For in the picture was nothing but a raging storm. It too had mountains, but they were craggly and they were, uh, they were not covered with the beauty that all of the others, they, they looked worn and beaten by the weather and the, the uh, trees were shaking all over the picture and there was lightning in the background. And, and everyone said, how in the world could this painting even be entered into such a contest? The king looked and asked such a question and the painter stepped up and he said, sir, Your honor, your majesty, he said, if you'll notice, in the painting, very small, here in the hollow of a tree, a bird has built his nest. And in the midst of all of the raging storm around him, that bird is able to rest quietly and peacefully in the nest because of the safety of that tree. That king looked at all of those paintings He chose the painting of the wild raging storm. And he said, that truly displays what peace is. Peace is the ability to rest in the midst of the raging storms of life. And for us, we understand it's not because we are resting in the hollow of a tree, praise the Lord for that, but rather that we are resting in the wonderful arms of our Savior. That we know that he holds us in his hand. And we know that God is the one who gives the ability to have peace no matter the circumstance. 
There are some in our church that are hurting and have come through periods of loved ones uh, dying, others with loved ones who are sick, others with uh, perhaps trials that are being carried and born, and others that maybe just look at the culture around us and say, look at all of everything that is raging and everything that is happening, and how do we have peace now? The reality is we can have peace now in the midst of everything that is swirling because we know whom it is and who we trust. And we want to see this morning here in Matthew chapter 11 a few principles that I believe will help us as we look to find peace in the midst of the raging storms of life. First of all, we see the source of truth. The Bible tells us in verse number 25, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent. Now, doesn't that seem like kind of an odd thing to thank God for? I don't know about you, I read that, and I think, why is it that he's saying, thank you for hiding this from the wise and the prudent? Then he goes on, of course, to say, but you've revealed it to babes. Uh, it, it's an amazing uh, thought or an amazing thing here that Jesus is praying to God the Father. And we see here, first of all, in the source of truth that God the Father is the source of truth. God the Father, uh, the one who uh, defines and understands and is the one who's the very source of it. And, and so Jesus here is speaking to him. He's talking about the fact that he's the one who chooses who to reveal and not to reveal truth to. Verse 26 says, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. He's the one who's the source. He's the one who decides and determines who it is that is allowed to understand and have truth revealed. And, and so he reveals uh, these truths, but God the Father, he's the source, and he's the one who reveals to those who are simply trusting in him. Those who are simply uh, coming to him as a babe coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here, uh, or, or I think of here first of all, and this would just be by way of application, but maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I haven't been saved all that long. You know, I'm excited we have some folks in our church, they haven't been saved for 20 years, they've been saved just a short period of time. And that's an exciting thing, uh, because that means that somebody went out with the gospel, gave them the gospel, they trusted Christ as their Savior, and now they're coming to church on a regular basis, they're growing. Uh, that's exactly what's supposed to happen, amen? And, and so that's thrilling, that's wonderful. And, and maybe you say, you know, I haven't really been saved that long, or maybe you say, I haven't been growing as fast as I should. And, and, and sometimes somebody will come into a church like this with a lot of mature believers uh, who are very faithful to the Lord, and you've uh, been through some of the storms of life, and you've been uh, maybe married for a while, and they may be struggling there. Uh, and uh, certainly as new people continue to come in, people will come in and say, wow, these people just have it all figured out. And they'll look at the way you know how to dress and the way you know how to smile no matter what's going on and the way that you know how to just act a certain way in church and look like you have everything figured out. And, uh, and they'll look at that and they'll say, wow, these people, I mean, I am like, I don't even compare. And you know, that's how people feel sometimes when they come to church at first. And they feel like they don't fit in. And, and they feel like these people have it all figured out. And then when you get where you've been saved a while, you figure out you really don't have as much figured out as you thought you had figured out. Amen? And, and, and when you looked at those people and you thought they had it figured out, they didn't have it figured out either. And, and we're all just struggling through this thing together, trying to grow every day in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the reality is, someone might come and say, Pastor, I don't understand all of the things. I don't understand everything that uh, gets said in the message. Or I don't understand everything that I read in my Bible. And, and I feel like I'm behind. Can I just say to you this morning, you're not behind. 
You're right where God has you right now. And you know what you need to do? You need to learn the truth that God has for you today. And take the message that God has, uh, the truth that God has from the message today home and, and learn it and study it and, and meditate on it, think it through and, and work on it. Come back to the Word of God and study it out and, uh, and be like those Bereans the Bible talks about, that they were studiers. They came and studied the Word of God and they made sure that it was accurate to the Bible. And that's what we ought to do with biblical truth that is given. And, and, and so we ought to learn those truths. You might say, well, I just feel like I'm not as smart as somebody else. And I feel like I just don't have the ability to grasp everything that maybe somebody else can grasp. Hey, don't worry about it, because the Bible tells us here, Jesus said, you're not at any disadvantage whatsoever, because God is the one who reveals it, and he chooses to reveal it to those that come in simplicity and in faith. They come like a child. They're the babes. And you know what? God doesn't say, and we ought to be growing, amen? Amen. We ought to be growing in our knowledge, and uh, the Bible says Jesus grew in knowledge and stature. We ought to be growing, but the reality is this morning you might say, I just feel like there's so much still that I need and so much I need to learn. Let me say, don't lose that. The day you think you've got it figured out and you're not able to be wrong is the day that you're in trouble. And so don't lose that. Come as a babe and come and say, Lord, would you just teach me? Would you reveal to me from the scriptures that which you would have me to know? Someone newly saved might feel that way. Uh, but, But here we see that it's revealed to the babes. It's an interesting thing. He says here, I thank thee because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. What are these things? What are the things that were hidden from these people? And if you back up in the passage just a little bit, verse number 20, says, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. He said, Woe unto the uh, Chorazin, woe unto the Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. In sackcloth and ashes, he's talking about this thing of repentance. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. You know what he says? Here came Jesus doing these mighty works. And these people, some of them missed it. And many had seen the work of God. Many had had an opportunity perhaps to repent, but in their thinking that they uh, were people of great understanding. These are people that were smart, in other words. These are people they had the ability to grasp. These are people that uh, perhaps they would have come in their own human wisdom and knowledge and said, I am somebody of stature or somebody of ability, maybe within these cities or these kingdoms. And they would have said, look, uh, I am uh, a learned person. I have all these abilities of of mental capacity and of human understanding. And, and, And Jesus is saying, look, it's not about that. It's not about how smart they are. It's about God revealing to them that they're a sinner who needs to repent. You know, the reality of it is today that there are many people, uh, I can remember my dad telling me a story of a religious professor, a professor of religion in a secular university that he was at. And, uh, and I can remember when we were kids and he would tell us about it from time to time, how that man would uh, know all about the Bible. And he could, do, as a textbook, he could explain it and he could uh, know where all the passages were and he could spin circles around most Christians. And, and he had all this mental capacity. 
but yet he was lost. He never came to the place of just understanding the simplicity that Jesus came to this earth to shed his blood, to die on an old rugged cross for sinners. He never understood the simplicity that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He never understood the simple things of the word of God. At least at that time, maybe later, hopefully later. But at least at that time, he missed the things that were simple, but he got these other big things. You know what Jesus is saying? It's not about having the the, the great capacity. It's not about all. It's really about that which is simplistic in this setting. And that God has revealed it even unto babes. Even children can come and understand how to know Jesus is their Savior. Even children can come and, and understand how to repent of their sin and trust on Jesus alone for their salvation. What a truth of the Word of God that it doesn't require us to grasp everything. I had a preacher that came one time and he preached in a uh, preacher's meeting that we were having. And, and he said, you know, I've been going through my town and at every single door I've been uh, going to and I've been knocking on the doors and, and I heard about this thing called door knocking. I've been knocking on the doors and I've been uh, just, just if I have to, very forcefully explaining to these people why cre- uh, evolution is sin and it's wrong and creation's right. You know, I thought, yes, that's important. Amen. We vital. I mean, we believe that, and it's vital. And, and when we get into our science classes in our school, we have to teach the reality. Evolution's a lie, and creation is what is right. And by faith, we believe that Jesus, that God is the creator of the world, that there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's absolute. Amen? Amen. But yet it's not the thing that somebody needs first, necessarily. And you know what? Sometimes we have a tendency to try to get to those things before we just come to the simple. Repent and be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know, Pastor, I've, I've been trying to get some things from it, and I've, I've been trying to understand all this stuff. And, and as you've been preaching, maybe even over the last few weeks, I've been trying to, to grasp it all. And maybe you'd say, I've been here for a few weeks, and I've been here maybe for a little while. And, and the reality is, I don't know if I've ever come to the place of asking for forgiveness of my sins. You know, the Bible says we must come like a child. We don't come in our ability. We come low. We come humbly. We come down to the very foot of the cross. And I'm glad the ground is level there. There's no one more worthy or no one less worthy of salvation. You might say you don't know where I've been and what I've done. And you're right, I don't. But Jesus does. And he said that whosoever will may come. Maybe this morning you just need to come and repent of your sin and receive Jesus as your Savior. I see here the source of truth, the one who is truth, God, the one who reveals truth to man, God. I see that God, God the Father, is the source of truth. Then we see not only the source of truth, but we see here the Son of Revelation. Step number one, if we're going to find rest in Christ, is we must be saved. We must repent. We must come to Christ uh, humbly and as that uh, child, as a babe. And then we see verse number 27, the Son of Revelation. He says, all things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Excuse me, we see here, he says that all things are delivered to the Son. That word delivered, it means entrusted for the teaching and training of others. So it carries this idea of that which has been entrusted to her, that which has been given to, uh, but it's been given for the purpose of then passing it along, of then giving it to another, or of training another with that which has been given. 
So it would be like uh, if we were to come, and as we are coming uh, into the school year, we sit down and we say, all right, uh, and, and, you know, the uh, faculty, the staff, and the school sits down and says, in first grade, we need to teach these things. And in second grade, we need to teach these things. And in third grade, we need to teach those elements. And, and, and we kind of try to define exactly what needs to be done. And then uh, curriculum is put together. And so we say, all right, here's the curriculum for the first and the second grade, and we take that down and we deliver it to Miss Edwards. It's been delivered, but it's not for the purpose of her taking it home and just putting it on a shelf, amen? It's been delivered, and we get the picture, you're already ahead of me, you know where we're going, but it's been delivered that she might then take that curriculum, that body of truth, and, and, and that she can then take and deliver that to those children, that she can train them in it, she can teach them in it, that those first and second graders that sit in her class this year will learn certain things because they're in her class. It's been delivered to her to then train in those areas, and all of those teachers will have areas that have been delivered to them so they can then walk into the classroom and teach and train others. You know what? Jesus is using that exact idea. Uh, that this, this training uh, process, that, but, but notice for him it's not what's in first grade or second grade, but it's all things. All things are delivered to him. He's been given by the Father. He's been tr- entrusted by the Father with all truth. I mean, the church belongs to him. He's the head of it. Every believer belongs to him. We are hid with Christ in God. I mean, the reality is all of it is his. We are his. Everything is his. And all the truth of it has been entrusted to him. And he has been given all the authority. All power is given unto him in heaven and earth. And so he has all of it. All the authority, all the power, all the truth, all the the reality, all the ownership. He purchased it with his own blood. And now with everything being his... He's the one who says, now I'm going to teach and train. I'm going to pass on. I'm going to be the one who does this work. It's delivered uh, that it might be taught. It's delivered that it might be given out again. God reveals himself and his truths through his word, through the living word, Jesus, and through the written word, the Bible. And so truth is revealed, and it's revealed by God through the Son, through the Word of God, that we might be able to have it. So he says here, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Now, again, isn't that an interesting statement? He's speaking to people who know him. He's he's speaking to people who would say, We know Jesus. I mean, certainly the the apostles, but there's others gathered around too that would have said, we know him, we know who you are. There were even those gathered who believe he's God. So what does he say? What does he mean when he says uh, that it's only the Father? No man knoweth the Son but the Father. This word knoweth, it means to discern clearly and distinctly. In other words, those apostles, Peter in uh, Matthew 16, we'll go there in just a moment and see it, but as Peter declared, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, how is he able to declare that? How does he know that? It's by faith, amen? amen? He doesn't see it clearly as God the Father sees that Jesus is God, that, that the Son is equal with the Father and all those things, but by faith, by that which has been given to him. In fact, just turn over there, uh, Matthew chapter 16, and verse number 16 just a couple pages over. He saith unto them, verse 15, But whom say ye that I am? Here's verse number 16. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, 
Now notice flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. You can't discern that on your own, Simon. It's not flesh and blood. It's not your mental capacity that's revealed this to you. That can't do it, but my Father which is in heaven. And so we see that it is the Father's, the one who has the ability to see clearly, to understand, to decipher, and to grasp. The Son is co-equal with the Father. And of course, you get into Hebrews, that's quite clear. And so it says he's co-equal with the Father, and therefore all things are entrusted to him. There's nothing that's held back. There's nothing that is the Father's and not the Son's. There's nothing the Father knows that the Son does not, because they're one and the same. They're co-equal, and it is the Son who has been entrusted with all of these things. They've been delivered to him. So it is the Father who sees in this manner the Son, no one else can. Then notice what he says, neither knoweth any man, back in uh, chapter 11, verse 27, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. There's no one who can see the Father in that manner either. It's still by faith for us. But the Son, he can see clearly. He can discern clearly. He can discern specifically that the Father is indeed God. God himself recognizes that God is God. Amen? And no one else can see it that way because no one else has that perspective. But then he says this, there is someone let in on it, save, uh, and uh, the Father saved the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. The Son's the revelation of the Father. The Son is the one, the Son of Revelation, who comes and allows us to see clearly who God really is. Through the eyes of faith, we can see him and we can say, you know, the son's the one to whom it was all delivered. And then the son is the one because all that truth was delivered to him because he's the owner of it all. And now he's passing along. And then through that, he's the one who has the ability to reveal them to the father. And now we can see clearly. We don't see through a glass dimly as they did, but now in New Testament we see clearly, we understand fully, we can grasp completely. We don't just know there's a coming Messiah. We know who that Messiah is and that Jesus is the very Son of God, God in the flesh, slain for all of the world and yet risen again the third day. We know exactly who the Son is. And so we see that it is discerned, it is understood clearly. We see the source of truth is the Father. We see the Son of Revelation. Of course, that is Jesus. You say, all right, I thought we were going to talk about rest, Pastor. Yes, but if we don't understand our salvation, we can't have rest in Christ. We must first repent. And then if we have that, but we are not growing in relationship with him, and we are not having a greater and deeper understanding of him, and we are not fellowshipping with him, the one who reveals to us who God is and who all this has been entrusted to him to give to us, then we're not going to have that rest. But now, when we understand those two, we come to this place of rest and really kind of the focus of the message. We see the solicitation of the weary. I had to have an S there. But it's just simply an invitation. Verse number 28, and he says here, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I see, first of all, it's an invitation to come. Come unto me. You know, the reality is, it's like I, I tell my children oftentimes, I tell them, go do this. They're at the age now where I can tell them to go clean your room. I really like that. Amen? And uh, it's a whole lot better. Somebody said, when I became a father, I understood that verse. When I became a man, I put away childish things. And uh, that's what you end up doing, pretty much as a dad. You're just putting away childish things all the time. Uh, the reality of it is that now I can say, you guys, go put away your toys. 
And man, Abigail went in there and she'll clean her room. In fact, she cleans it out every day and uh, does a great job. And she has a blast with that. And uh, Liam's getting there too. A little slower, but he's getting there. And uh, we'll go in there and they'll go clean their rooms. And you know, sometimes say something like, and, and it's not usually clean your room yet, but I'll say something like that. Go clean your room. And probably none of you have ever experienced this. But my children do not always jump up and down, clap their hands with great joy and exuberation, run off to their rooms, not able to wait to clean their room. Sometimes I have to kind of help prompt them a little bit. And sometimes in that I'll have to say, now if you don't do that, then you understand that would be disobeying. And and you understand disobeying, now you understand what comes with disobeying, and they'll say yes. So, there's really, there's no in-between. Either you do obey, or you don't obey. You either obey or you disobey. Those are the only two options, and it's your choice. Here, Jesus says, come. It's an invitation, but it's an invitation with a command there. Because he's the sovereign God of the universe, when he says, come unto me, that is a command from the sovereign God of the universe. I'm inviting you, but I'm also telling you, come. And here he tells us, come unto me. You know, the reality is we either do or we do not. And when we do, we find the rest that is promised in the verse. And when we do not, which I would dare say we've all been guilty of at times, and when we do not come, we don't find the rest in the verse. Have you ever spent a week running in circles, getting nothing done? I'm not talking about because you have a busy week at work. I'm talking about a spiritually speaking kind of a thing. I'm talking about maybe in your mind. Maybe the circles aren't even out there. The circles are in here. And you're running circles and it's over and over. And you're, I mean, it's just like that thing is just on the, uh, the hamster wheel and around and around and around. And maybe you don't ever do that. But surely at least one of you does, so I figured there would be a nod somewhere. Uh, the reality is, most of us, the things come along in life, and before long, the hamster wheel starts to rotate, doesn't it? And before long, we find our mind is we are weary, we're worn out. Sometimes it's just the mental, but sometimes it's the physical that goes along with it, and we're running around, and we're really getting nothing done because we're just trying to do this and do this and do that and patch this and make that happen. And, 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 and I mean, it's like our life is going crazy, and we're just trying to figure out how to just keep it from exploding. We're really not trying to figure out how to be productive. We're really not trying to figure out necessarily how to bring great glory to God uh, in the moment. Not that we don't want to, but we're putting so much effort into not exploding that that's really all we can do. And here, Jesus says, look, you can come. This is an invitation. Come unto me. I'm inviting you. I am welcoming you. I am giving you the opportunity. We come to him in repentance, and that's for salvation. And then as Christians, we come to him, and we come to him in relationship. We come to him by coming to the word of God, and coming in prayer, and and really digging in and saying, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm coming, and I don't know how to handle all of this. And there are people in our church right now that you're carrying burdens that are big than you can carry. And you can't carry them through life. And you have to come and say, Lord, I'm going to come. And some of you probably have. And maybe others you need to. And maybe some of you need to learn how to, to be able to come and say, Lord, I'm not going to just keep carrying this burden. You told me I don't have to carry it. I'm weary and I'm heavy laden and I'm worn down and I'm coming to you to say, I can't do all this. So Lord, I'm just coming. I'm just going to give it to you. 
I'm going to let you have it all. Let you have the weight and let you have the burden and let you have the pain and let you have the situations that I don't know how to handle. And Lord, I'm just coming to trust you with it. It's an invitation to come. It's not just an invitation to come, but it's an invitation to the weary. You know, the reality is God understands how we're made. Amen? He built us. And he knows sometimes we get running around. I dare say in the next two weeks, some of you that teach in the school, you're going to be running around. There's going to be times it's going to be busy. Some of you that have jobs, you're going to have times in the next few weeks, and especially with all the things with uh, coronavirus that that are going on in our culture and, and you're going to have times where everything seems to be going haywire and everything seems to be going crazy and everything's going to be spinning and the reality is it doesn't even matter if you work a job or teach in a school uh, the truth is life is just that way sometimes so the next time it hits Maybe you're in the middle of that crazy whirlwind of life right now and the storms are raging and everything seems to be uh, hitting all at once. We can run and try to keep from exploding and just try to keep a lid on it. Or we can stop. And instead of running to keep a lid, we can come to our, our Father and as we sang a few minutes ago, we can bow the knee. We can come to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the controller, the creator of heaven and earth, the one by whom all things consist, the one who's in control and in charge of every situation of our life. Say, Lord, right now it feels really out of control. But I recognize it's not because by faith I believe that you are who you say you are and as the God of the universe that you're in perfect control. So Lord, you've told me I can come, and I'm coming, and Lord, I'm weary. I've already been running around, and I've already been trying to figure it out, and and I've already been trying to make it all happen. Here were people, they were weary from all the rigid restrictions of religion that Jesus is talking to. They, They were weary because the relationship with God was never allowed to be smooth. It was never allowed to have any flexibility in it. It had to be just inside the box of the Pharisees. And Jesus is speaking to these people and saying, look, he understands they're weary. They're weary of all the rigmarole. They're weary of all the, you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to do it like this, and you have to tithe of your mitt and your cumin. And, and they were weary of all the, the straining at, at mats and swallowing camels, as Jesus said. They were weary of all that. He said to them, when you get weary trying to do all the religious stuff, by the way, don't we do the same thing? We run around and we try to do all these things to try to make God happy because we feel like, well, I just got to go do What does he say? No, no, no. Come. Don't go do. Come unto me. Come when you're weary. Come when you're worn. Come when you're weak. Come when you're heavy laden, when you're overburdened. Come when it seems like there's no way out. Uh, Come unto me, all you that labor. You're running around, you're working, and you're heavy laden. The burdens are heavy. And notice the promise, and I will give you rest. The word rest means ceasing from activity. Doesn't that sound nice? I don't know if you ever get to cease from activity, but sometimes it feels like I'm always just running from one activity to another activity. You ever feel that way? 
and sometimes I don't even know exactly what the activity is supposed to be. I'm just so used to running. I'm just running somewhere trying to find an activity because I know that I'm probably supposed to be on my way to some activity. And, and I mean, it's just like life gets filled up with all these activities. We're just doing this and doing that and doing this and volunteering here. And somebody says, can you help with this? And we feel bad saying no. So now we're helping with that. And then this comes on and that comes on and someone else says, and before long, we're just sprinting around from activity to activity. Rest. The ceasing from activity. But it's interesting when you look at the passage because he says, I'll give you rest. Then verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you. Next, next phrase. Yoke, that's what you put on oxen when you're going out to plow the field. Yoke denotes work. He doesn't say there will never be any activity. He doesn't say uh, nothing will ever get done. He doesn't say there will never be a time to work. He's just saying, quit focusing on all the work. Come to me. Let me be the one who decides what you're doing and what you're not doing and which activities are important and which activities aren't important. And, and come to me, I'll give you rest. And yes, there's still work to do. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's an interesting phrase right there. For I am meek and lowly in heart. Meek, that's tender, gentle. Lowly in heart, he's humble. And ye shall find, here it is a second time, rest for your souls. So the world's definition of rest is don't do anything. God's definition of rest is don't do anything outside of what I've designed for you to do. Because when you're doing what I've designed for you to do, there's rest in that. There's peace in that. And instead of just running around trying to do all the things and check all the boxes, Slow down. Come to me. Let me define what's really important in your life. Oh, there's still some activity to do. There's still some things to be done. In fact, a lot of things oftentimes. But don't just try to check every box everybody tells you you need to check. Don't try to check every box that it feels like is weighing in on you. Don't just try to run around and make all those things happen. Uh, they, they say, you probably heard the, the phrase, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. The one that makes the most noise, that's true in our lives. The thing that seems to be clamoring the loudest often is what gets the greatest attention. You know what I found? Usually it's the thing that needs less attention, not more. Usually it's the thing, we don't need to run over there. I, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've been guilty of this. In fact, I'm often guilty of this. I run to that thing that has a deadline on it or that thing that is coming up or that thing that seems big right now and it's clamoring loudly. I run to that and then after a little while, I'll realize, you know what? I actually, at that moment, should have been spending time with my family. That was the more important at that moment. You ever done that? You ever put the wrong thing in, in a place of importance because it made the most noise in the moment? It was the thing that, that was weighing on your mind the heaviest. You know what Jesus is saying? Come unto me. And when all those burdens are there and all that pressure is there, let me put the yoke on. Let me be the one to define what the burden is that you need to carry. What are the things that need to be in the wagon you're pulling, uh, so to speak, the picture of the oxen? Let me determine what those things are that are the, the most vital and most important. So the word rest, it means ceasing from activity. But this word specifically, it has inside it this idea. It leads to refreshing, and it results in an absence of tension or worry. 
Have you been tense lately? Have, have there been things in your life that have brought tension in relationships? Tension uh, in the workplace? Tension in your own mind? You know what? This rest is that which frees the tension. And Jesus has come to me. There's about to be a busy stretch as a church as we get ready for uh, the, the school year. And then before long, I keep hearing that it's a real busy thing for the yard sale. I mean, how busy can it be? It's just a yard sale, right? <laughs> Amen. There's all these things happening. There's all this that's going to hit in these next few weeks. You know what the tendency of a church is? Just like the tendency of an individual is to run around and try to check all the boxes and try to make it, and we have to make it all happen, but we try to make it all happen by our strength and power. And Jesus says, no, 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 hold on. Just come to me. Because, last verse, verse 30, my yoke is easy. He's designed it specific for you. You know, if every one of us just does what he has for us to do, if we get in the yoke he has for us, then we can labor together for the faith of the gospel and all the boxes will get checked and everything will get done. The problem is when somebody's not pulling in the yoke that God's designed for them, then somebody else has to try to take up the slack and there's more in their wagon. So, so we need to all be pulling together. We need to have a unity and a unison here uh, of saying, let's get into the yoke and let's labor together. My yoke is easy and my burden, it's not that there is no burden, but his burden is light. Have you ever looked at the world, somebody that's unsaved, and wondered in a time of crisis, I wonder how they make it through that? I do oftentimes. I wonder how they're surviving. I wonder how they're making it through that. I wonder how that's happening. Because with Christ, I can walk through that. And yeah, there's still some burden to it, but there can also be rest. I look at the Voldens family this week, and I watched yesterday as Brother Al, just with grace, walked through a very challenging and difficult day. But he could do that because 20 years ago he led his mom to the Lord. And he knows where she is today. And he knows that she's rejoicing and she's happy. And he knows that there is a, an exciting element to this. And he could walk through that with grace. But I look at some of those other people as I'm sitting at a funeral almost every time I look around. And I think, I wonder how those who don't know Christ, how do they manage? How do they walk through this? There's, there's nothing. They sorrow in that way that the Bible tells us we don't, as others which have no hope. They don't have hope. How do you handle that sorrow when it seems like to you that death is the end, not just a door? And the reality of it is, we come to these times of great heaviness and great sorrow. And Jesus says, just come to me. There's still a burden. There's still a task. But my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And you know why it's light? It's because he's right there with us. Laboring, and we get to be laborers together with God, as well as laborers together with one another, as we labor for the faith of the gospel. As we come into a busy stretch as a church, let's not get so over busy that we don't have time to just spend time in the word. Let's not get so over busy we don't have time to come to him in prayer. Let's not get so over busy that we're just running and checking boxes in our own strength instead of coming and saying, I'm just going to come to the Lord and spend time with him this morning before I start the schedule and, and before everything else kicks in. I'm just going to spend time with him.
because that's the place of rest. And it's the rest for the soul that's so vitally needed. I wonder this morning, are you resting? Or do you need to come to the place of rest? Father, we love you.